Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in. We'll see how how far we get tonight in chapter 4 here in the book of Hebrews. I'm not going to take the time to rehash. I think tonight is a carry-on or continuation from chapter 3 in many ways. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews here in chapter 4 is going to begin, and and he starts off with the word therefore, so we know it definitely goes back to chapter 3. And So let's begin right there, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed entered that rest, just as God has said. So I declare on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet His works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere He has spoken about the seventh day in these words. Quote, on the seventh day God rested from all of His works. And again, in the passage above, He says, They shall never enter my rest. So, if you remember right, last week we, uh, the writer was talking about the rest and how the Hebrew people never entered into God's rest. They never, ended, that first generation coming out of Egypt, never entered into the promised land and received the rest of God. Now here, he talks about therefore, which links us, like I said, to the previous chapter, chapter 3, where he states that the reason for not entering into the rest was what? What was the reason that they did not enter into God's rest? Disobedience, which was unbelief. That's right. Their disobedience, your actions speak to what you really believe. And so they did not walk in obedience to the Lord. So it falls back to the fact that they did not believe God and take God at His word. Brother Jim? One statement. You cannot receive what you don't believe. That's, That's right. That's exactly right. You cannot receive what you do not believe when it comes to faith. Absolutely right. So he goes on. He says, We have also heard the good news proclaimed to us, just as it proclaimed to those who lived in the time of Moses. So we have also. So he's tying us into it. The same thing. The Israelites were stony ground hearers. Stony ground. Remember the parable of the stony ground? It's the ground that takes in the seed. It starts to grow, germinate, but because of the hardness of the heart, it's not able to really root, and and, and it, it dies in a very short matter of time. They received the word with gladness, and what did they do? Did they not promise to obey God? Absolutely. They took the word when, the, when Moses came off the mountain with the law, with the Ten Commandments. They said, yes, we'll enter, God, enter this covenant with God. We'll gladly obey God, but yet... When the root, the message never had a root in them. And when trials came, they stumbled. When temptations came, they gave in to their temptations. The message did not benefit them. It was of no value to them because they did not mix it with faith. And see, that's the thing about the Word of God. The Word of God, you can have all the Bibles you want, but this, this, and we talk about, and, and, and in this chapter, it's going to talk about the word, the power of the Word of God. But the reality is, the power of the Word of God, it doesn't really have power unless you, unless you believe it. I mean, what it says is true. It is fact. Don't get me wrong. It's fact. It doesn't change. It doesn't take the power that God spoke, but the effect it has on you. You have to believe it for it to have the effect that God intends for it to have in your life. And see, many professing Christians today, we, we reflect the same problem. Not only must we hear God's message, but we must combine it with faith for it to be effective in our lives. And the evidence of our belief in making it effective is how we live our lives, how we obey the Word, see. And that's what the writer's alluding to here. All right, God calls the rest my rest. And I love that. Because of that, uh, it says that God is providing this rest for us. And maybe this is a great word for you tonight, Brother Gerald. Consider what you're going through in your body and how it's affecting your mind. God has a rest for us, and He wants His people to share in that rest. He wants us to be in that rest, Right. Those, excuse me, those who heard and disbelieved the invitation did not enter God's rest. They wandered in the they, There was no spiritual rest for them. There was no emotional rest for them. There definitely was, was, was no uh, emotional. I mean, in other words, they found no rest. They wandered around 
for basically 38 years, is 40 years total, but in the wilderness for 38 years with, with no rest, nowhere to call home. They had God, they still had the miracles of God, but because of their disbelief, they was never, and disobedience, they was never able to enter into the land of promise, which was part of God's rest. Brother Jim? I think they were free, but they never could get out of their bondage. Yeah, yeah, they were, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that very much so. It's not longer, so yeah. The, the cloud would move, and they would have to move, so not knowing when they were going to have to move, well, and, and picking up yeah. all their belongings, yeah. and tearing everything down, and then probably only walking maybe eight miles, which, yeah. which, which is about the average of what would, a caravan would move. Yeah. Well, we know that God did tell Moses when they were going to move, so he gave him heads up. But you're right; it was it was the exact not having a place to call home, nowhere really a permanent place to lay lay your head. And can you know? I always thought about this. There was a million something people. Can you imagine being at the end of that line? Can you imagine being at the end of the line behind everybody eating everybody's dust? I mean, that was that was not a fun way to travel. Packing everything up, moving, setting like you said, Brother Gerald. They, if they the fact of the matter is, by the time the front people got to the stopping point, the back people were just starting to move. So, yes, Mary Lou? You know, if we lived back in that day, yeah. we wouldn't have been like them, but you think about eating the same thing every day. Yeah. You know, it is great to, to have manna, but how, how many of us today would want to eat the same thing? I don't. I don't like eating the same thing. I mean, it depends on what it is. And they didn't have the Bible to go by like we do. Mm -mm. See what happens. No, didn't. yeah, but nonetheless, though, and think about this. Then how we do have the Word of God, we do have the accounts of the Old and New Testament, and it makes you wonder sometimes how much how much God. I mean, what does what does God think about us? I mean, He took these people uh, who who never encountered God. Those that He they didn't encounter God until Moses showed up and through. Through Moses, they encountered God. Uh, that we're aware of. That's recorded. Let me put it that way. Obviously, and so yeah. So through them, it was it was a new faith. It was a young faith, and so yeah. And it, it, I can see how that reflects in our life. When we're first born again, we first receive Christ. There's a time there that there is there are some doubts. But honestly, as we get, uh, I'm, I'm maybe I'm wrong. Lord, forgive me. I may be wrong. I know it's easy for me to say this because I'm on this side of the of the Red Sea. But I think if if, if God just Part of the Red Sea for me, I, I, I would, I, I would think, I, I think that would be, be enough, you know. I don't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but, but then again, then I look at my life now and I see how even today there's times that I doubt and I fret and I complain, and I would just wonder, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's our human nature, unfortunately, not to be content. We, we're never content, and. And so that's kind of part of it. But, but we can see that. And then that's why he declared, he says, So I declare on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, the thing about God's anger, some people are surprised that God gets angry, but God, he has emotion. We're created in that sense. And he was angry, but his anger um, is, 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 a, is a holy anger, if I can call it that, if that's the right word to use it, uh, to use there. And, and, and because he is perfect, Sin can provoke him to anger. He's perfect in every way. And so sin provokes him to anger. Now, he's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's compassionate. I'm going to be preaching about that Sunday morning. Part of my message is how compassionate God is. But the reality of it is there is a point to where he's like, hey, I mean, I, I've given you enough chances. And now I, this is the repercussions or Better way to put it is, you stepped outside my will, you stepped in a disobedience outside of, of my plans for you, therefore these are the repercussions of what you're going to have happen to you, sowing and reaping. That's the New Testament principle, right? And that's what happened, and we know, we've, we, we studied what happened to uh, the southern uh, nation of Israel and how they were defeated, and we never studied it, but we've heard the story, if we preached it's in the Word, how Judah, matter of fact, if you're doing the yearly read-along with others in the church through our app, we just finished Jeremiah today, um, and Jeremiah, it, it's all about 
the, the, the nation of Judah, the, the, the southern nation, and how uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in and with Babylon and destroyed it. Because of what? Unbelief and disobedience. And you can read throughout Jeremiah, that's what he's talking about. God kept giving a warning after warning after warning after warning. Uh, and boom, enough was enough. So God let, let if you, whether you want to call it his wrath or the repercussions of their disobedience come upon them. Gerald? Well, well, I mean, and I know two people made it out. Two people did, but everybody else, even if they changed their minds because of their disbelief and disobedience, God says none of you except for those two are going to go in. None of them went in, yeah. but those two. What, what happens to a sinner that says, oh, you know, I don't really stand a chance because I've been such, such a bad person. What happens? Does God still hold that wrath against him and say, you'll never enter my rest? Well, I think the difference we're talking about is a nation and an individual. Back then, the nation was the people of God, and so God dealt with the nation through its leaders. And in this case, it's actually through the people. But who's, I, I don't know if everybody in the million people, uh, other than those two, Caleb and Joshua, if those, I, there, maybe there were some others that did not disbelieve God or they, they believed God. That I don't know. But God as a whole, He did. He said, you will, this generation will not enter in to the promised land, except for those two, even even Moses. Right. Even. No, we're 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 talking about entering. We're. That's right. We're going to get to heaven in a little while because that's the ultimate rest. That doesn't mean these people didn't go to didn't go to heaven. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. They. Absolutely, and at the end of the study, we're going to see how this is nothing but a foreshadowing of the ultimate rest. But no, I'm not saying these people went to hell. No, 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 no. They were just not able to enter into the promises of God, which is very true for us today. If we don't walk in obedience to God, we don't walk in the promises of God. See, they were not able to enter their rest. If you don't walk in obedience to God's Word, in other words, if, and it's not about the do's and don'ts. It's if you don't walk in belief of God's Word, you will not live in His rest today. Where does, my, where does your rest come from? It comes from peace. Peace from what? Peace of, mind. peace of mind from what? Not from what the doctor says. Not from what your bank account says, right? Not from what the government's doing. Not from a shot for COVID. It comes from knowing a living God and His Word and what He reveals to us through His Word. That's this Bible study in a nutshell, so we can just go home now. But that's it. That's what this Bible study is about. That's what He's talking about here. God said, follow me, trust me to the Israelites. And, all, and they didn't. They barely ate. They complained. Then he, when he finally says, okay. And even then, when they, got, when, they, when they got to the Jordan River the first time, he still spent spies in, and he was still willing for them all to go. It's when the ten came back with a negative report and the people rebelled against Moses. They said, we're not going. We need a new leader. Saying they walked in disobedient to God's plan. See, God meant for them to go across the Jordan. That generation was meant to go across the Jordan. <laughs> well, here's the difference, okay? The difference, the, the thing about Moses is they knew Moses had heard from God because God was using. That doesn't mean Moses couldn't falter. I know, I'm not saying Moses was perfect by any means, but God had used Moses in Egypt. God had used Moses at the Red Sea. And every time they questioned Moses, God showed up. Right? And so from that, they should have had confidence. It's kind of like, I'm not Moses, but I'm like, man, but as a leader of this fellowship, there has to be an element of trust you have to have in me and confidence that I hear from God. Does that mean I don't make mistakes? Of course I make mistakes. Of course. I mean, I made that very clear Sunday. There's times that I do things. I know that frustrate things that I do. I hope I'm not walking in, in disobedience about the will of God. That's, that's the thing I hope I'm not doing any way. Um, and, and so really it's your confidence in, in following me. And that's why I say like Paul says, follow, don't follow me, but follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what Paul said. Don't follow me, but follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not the standard. Christ is the standard. He's the banner. 
and, and so because of their disbelief, uh, our, our disbelief and their disobedience, they never entered in. But the somewhere here that he talks about, the author refers to in verse 4, is where God has spoken about the seventh day in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. He says, By the seventh day God had finished the work He had been doing, so on the seventh day He rested from all of His work. Does that mean God did nothing? Was inactive? No. No. We know that Jesus tells us over in what John, I even wrote down John 5, that God, God's, the Holy Spirit is active. God's always active. But He stopped at His labor of creating. Why did He do that? Let's just talk about that. Why? As an example to us, right, absolutely. Now, we're not here to talk about the Sabbath and taking the day off, but he, he refers to it right here in, in, in explaining because these Jewish people understood that on the Sabbath, on, at sundown on Friday, you, you didn't work, your animal didn't work, your, your wife didn't work, nobody did it. You didn't travel very far until sundown on Saturday. That was their Sabbath from sundown to sundown. But it was a time to rest. Only those who believe and enter God's rest, God, those are the only ones who can, through invitation, can enter into His rest is what I'm trying to say. So, um, it doesn't mean God was inactive or idle. Uh, we just know that God just stopped at His labor, but He didn't stop to exist and He didn't stop moving and doing the things that He, he does because He's everywhere. Okay, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought there. I lost my place in my notes. He doesn't need rest. Exactly right. Exactly right. And yeah, God paused. He stopped to labor. It didn't mean he stopped, but he stopped his labor. And that's not even necessarily the best word because God didn't labor in the sense that it was laboring, but he labored in the sense that he created. And it just means that God just really what it means is God paused and he looked at his creation. He said, "Man, that's good. That's good. That's good. Wow, that's good." He reflect and enjoy. And joy, and isn't that isn't that a, something that we need to learn to do? There's times that we need to stop, not from a legalistic standpoint, but from a real standpoint of rest, uh, and just admire or reflect on life and what what God's doing through our lives. I think that's important. That's rest. Yeah. Someone have another comment? I'm sorry, I thought I saw another hand. No. No, you just said exactly what I did. Yeah. So. Uh, the writer goes on, he repeats the warning uh, taken from Psalms 95.11. He did it in th chapter 3, he's doing it again here in chapter 4. God's people, even though they had witnessed His power under the great leadership of Moses, they were unable to make it into God's rest. God rested and wanted His people to enjoy that rest, but they drifted off from, due, from it due to lack of faith. And I wrote this down, unbelief forfeits rest. Unbelief forfeits rest. In other words, unbelievers will not enter God's rest. I'm not talking about salvation here. We're talking about, in, we're going to get to, to heaven, but just, uh, well, you have to believe in Jesus to, go to, to, to have that rest, but I'm talking about those who, who believe in Christ but do not walk in faith of the Word. They will never enter their rest here in this world. We can have rest in this world. We can have rest in this world. Our faith is not a matter of past experience, but an ongoing one. Those who believe have rest in God, who believe in His Word. They didn't believe in His Word, so they didn't walk into obedience. They never entered into their rest. And they literally, for the rest of their lives, wandered aimlessly in life. See? All right. Let's go to verse 6. Maybe this will make a little bit more sense to you in just a minute. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it, quote, today. This, is, this He did when a long time later He spoke through David, as in the message already quoted. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. This is repeat from chapter 3. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There's a key there. So there's more to rest than in the promised land. The second generation, the generation born in the wilderness, or those under age 20, they went in to the, the promised land, so there is another rest. Hear what, just understand what he says there again. For, Josh, if, for if Joshua had given them rest, Moses was the leader of the first generation, Joshua was the leader of the second generation, God would not have spoken later about another day. So through David, he speaks about another day of rest. There remains then a Sabbath rest. This is the only place that I can find in the Bible that talks about a Sabbath rest in the New Testament. 
It's different. I mean, this is a totally different rest now. He's talking about a Sabbath rest, all right, uh, for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. So besides the rest God took after creating the world and the institution of the seventh-day Sabbath, or really, yeah, the, yeah, the seventh-day Sabbath, there was another rest. This rest was offered to the Israelites. God wanted them to enter into the rest as noted earlier, it was a disobedience that kept the Israelites from entering this rest. So God had another rest. So we have a we are of, we are offered an opportunity to enter God's rest. We should be careful not to squander it. So that's what he's saying. You folks are struggling with what you what to do because of the the clash between Judaism and and Christianity. At this point, it wasn't called Christianity. I don't think at this point. Maybe it was, depending on the timing there. But you're struggling with this idea because you're losing family, you're losing friends, you lost your place of worship. You're thinking maybe I need to go back to the sacrificial forms of worship, and 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 that is laboring. That is taxing. And he says, no, there is a rest for you now. You can rest from even that if you'll enter. If you'll just live and walk in disobedience. If you'll just take Jesus at His word and believe what he's told us about salvation. Psalms 95.7, and we've referred to it twice. Let's just read it. It says, Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said there are they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my way. So I declared on an oath, they shall never enter my rest. Disobedience. The psalm indicates that God has appointed a specific day called today. What do you think today is? When he says today, it's mentioned twice in that verse in Psalms. What do you think he means by today? Current time. It's a new day. Actually, every day is the day. Isn't it? That means any given day you can enter into the rest of the Lord. Today. Tomorrow is not today. Today is today. Yesterday is not today. Y'all remember the Looney Tunes? Remember Daffy Duck always saying to Bugs Bunny, I, I thought you said that this week I could MC." And he said, I, 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 no, he said, I said last week, next week. But this isn't next week. This is this week. So it will never be next week, right? Well, the opposite of that is there is a today. There is a today. Today is the day of salvation. That's how you begin entering into the rest of the Lord is by receiving Christ today. Any given day is today. So we know that. The, the, the word today, which the psalm refers to, is a new day. It emphasizes the opportunity and also the urgency. It's the opportunity, but there's an urgency of action on the good news that you can enter into God's rest today. This is God's day. The only opportunity we can be sure of is today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. See the point, the urgency of that? Yes, go ahead, John. Point my finger at myself, but I, I don't take time with God's rest. I get angry a lot more and I get frustrated a lot more. Yeah. I really have to. I'm finding the old. I just have to stop myself and get down and say, God, help me. I need your help. Yeah, I, I find that if I don't rest properly, sooner or later my body. Or God will allow something to bring me to a point that I have rest because it's important for us to rest. But that's a rest that we should have every day. It's just a Sabbath rest. I believe in a Sabbath rest. I do. I do. I don't think it's a legalism thing. God gave it to us and He says, you know what? If you'll give me one day, you'll be able to accomplish more in six days than you would be in seven days. If you have to have seven days to live your life and do your work, then you might be overwhelmed anyways. And that's my paraphrase of what God's trying to imply with a Sabbath rest. Day of rest. There needs to be a day that you rest from your work and you keep it holy. You remember, and it's a day you should remember the Lord. He says that. Remember the Lord and keep it holy. I believe in that. But there is a rest that you can enter in every day. I have a question. Yeah, John. So I I keep thinking about when I first started reading about the Hebrews and all the ritualistic things they did day by day by day to mm -hmm. clean and do all these things. They were still doing all this, but they weren't keeping the Sabbath. Yeah. Matter of fact, one of the things, you know, all the things they had to do. One of the one of the one of the things that was charged against Judah before Babylon came in was they didn't rest. They didn't take a Sabbath and rest. Another thing they didn't do is they did not let their slaves, after so many years, go free again. They kept them in bondage. You read it. Like I said I'm reading through Jeremiah right now. It's there. Yes, it was. That was part part of it. Just just a part of it. That was part of their disobedience. Absolutely. Brother Jim? The 
day of rest or taking the Sabbath off didn't become law until they were in the wilderness and they got the Ten Commandments. That's correct, yeah. Before then, it was not a law because they had no laws. They had no laws. They had no guidelines. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, don't want to go too deep in this, but when you think about what God had to work with with the Israelites that were in Egypt, they, they didn't know Him like the, the, the you know, Jacob and, and, and his boys knew him. They, did, they, were in, they had went in there and, and for 400 years now, it's been 400 years since, since um, Jacob and, and, the, and his 12 boys or 11 boys at Manasseh, you know, all, you know the boys of, of uh, Joseph. Uh, and, and so with that, they grew up under a system of false gods and, 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 and bondage. And so that's what God had to work with. God was actually very patient with them because of that. So that's why a lot of people say, why did God give them so many laws? Because there's the Ten Commandments, but then there's, the, there's all these other laws. It's because they didn't know how to live. They didn't know how to live. They didn't know how to interact. You know, if your brother, you know, hey, you know, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That wasn't so that you can get revenge. That's so you could limit how much you could do to somebody for some harm they brought to you. He said, no, we, we've got to have some boundaries here. And so that was God's way. Even, even, the, even the dietary... Why, why do you think God had dietary laws for them? Any idea? For their health. For their health. Absolutely, for their health. They definitely learned discipline. Well, they had to learn discipline. Yeah, absolutely. They had to learn how to be followers, not slaves. There's a difference between a follower and a slave. See? And, and, and absolutely, so it did not become law until God presented the Ten Commandments to Moses, um, and then God expected them to live by that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of laws there talk about interaction with each other. Just how do you live with your neighbor? You know, what happens if you if you find your your neighbor's donkey? What do you do? You know, think, I mean, if you ever read Leviticus, it's I it's know, it's. I mean, you can get lost in there after a while, like oh my word. But yeah, there's a lot there. But it's trying to help them to get along because God needed them together. He's about to take them into the to Canaan where they would actually have to fight and had to be organized. And he raised up a leader. He raised up Moses, who was trained in some of the greatest leadership skills you could under in Egypt, and then he put him in the wilderness for 40 years where he learned how to be a shepherd. And what a great combination. A strong leader who, who loves people who's a shepherd. So, yep. So, um, see where I left off here. So, having shown that Jesus, remember, chapter 2, Jesus is superior to angels, and now Jesus is superior to Moses. The inspired author now returns to another leader who is very precious in the eyes of these Jews, and that's Joshua. Joshua took over after Moses died and led Israel into the Promised Land. Okay, Yet he could not provide God's rest. Entering Canaan is not entering into God's rest at this point. It was going to be, but there's some work that had to be done. Right. So that first, um, let's see, that first generation experienced rest as long as they believed, but there rose a generation that did not know God. And, and so we, 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 it's entering into God's rest. I don't know why I put that in there. Apparently that made sense to me this afternoon. I apologize. I was about to say, what's that got to do with anything here? I guess I'm talking about there was a generation that rose up and then the judges in the time of judges, I think is what I was studying and reading. So Now what's interesting I find about this, uh, Joshua, the name Joshua and Jesus, although they're different in English, in Hebrew and in Greek, they're the same name. What do you think about that? Yeshua. That's Joshua. And we change it in the New Testament so we don't get Joshua and Jesus mixed up. But it's Yeshua. Joshua, Yeshua, it's Jesus. It's the same in the Hebrew, in Hebrew and in Greek. They both mean what? Know what that name means? God saves. Absolutely. God saves. Um, so what's interesting is I was studying this. There remains a Sabbath rest still for people, God's people, for the people of God. Joshua leading the Israelites into the land of promise of rest is a foreshadowing of what Jesus does for us today or what Jesus did on the cross and provided for all of us since that time. It's a foreshadowing of, of stepping into that promised land. The Sabbath rest is the substance while the Canaan rest is a shadow. It was a shadow of what God wants to do. Jesus came and it became a reality for us today. The reality come, the symbol has been fulfilled. The Canaan rust was essentially physical 
and outward. It was a shadow. Eventually, eventually it was physically and outward. And it was a shadow of the Sabbath rest. It is a picture of the spiritual rest we find in Christ when we yield our life to Him. The Sabbath rest is God's eternal and heavenly Sabbath. Okay? I want to explain a little bit more about that in just a minute. Keep that in your, in your thoughts, okay? Believers do not experience God's rest in the fullest way in this present's life. Okay? Now, there, I'm, I know it's getting a little deep on rest. Why we talk so much about rest? Because we all need it. There is a rest. There is a, there is a rest, a physical Sabbath rest that we should take every week. But there's also a spiritual rest that we receive when we, when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. That comes from knowing the Word, believing the Word, following in obedience to the Word. Just acting out in faith on the Word. There is a spiritual rest that comes from that. But that's not the essential rest. I mean, that's not, that's not it in the totality. There's a rest uh, from, that, that we have that comes after death when we go to heaven. And this rest means that we cease from one's work. When we go to heaven, when, uh, we, we stop working altogether. There is, a, there is now a totality of rest. Matter of fact, I don't want to split hairs. This is, I'm, you know, this is my personal theology. We, we even call it rest, don't we? It's, it's, the reality is when we go to heaven, until we get our glorified bodies, we're, we're in a state of spiritual being that we, we rest. What is there left to do until the rapture? There really isn't. Th- I mean, I want you to really think deep for just a minute. Other than fruit, there's nothing. <laughs> Other than what? Bearing fruit. In heaven, we won't be bearing fruit. I mean, until then. Until then. Right, right, right. Absolutely. No, no, no. Until then. I'm talking about when you take your last breath and you enter into heaven, what is there left for you to do? Oh, until there's rapture for the rest of the people. Until your body is raptured and, you're, and you receive your glorified body. I don't think there's enough time to think about it because once you come out of the uh, compound of time, you're living in the now. You're living in the now. And I see it as once someone takes their last breath, and they enter into heaven, they're going to turn around and see everybody coming in about the same time. Could be. Because what I've always taught is if you live a long life of 100, that seems like a long time, but divide 100 into infinity. Yeah. And yeah. that's the Suspect. short of time. So once you come out of this time, then there is no time, then... It's just, I agree. It's done. I, I I agree. I think that this is my personal f- theology. I know I probably have said this before that when I when I take my last breath and I enter into the presence of God, um, that time stops existing for me. And then one day you show up and I just know, hey, where have you been? Kind of thing. I mean, I know that's a strange way of seeing it, but I do because reality is when we get there, until until the rapture, until the end time, until the second coming of Christ. Even though we're up there, the second coming affects us in heaven when you're in heaven. Until then, we're not doing anything. I mean, all right, maybe we're praising God. Okay, that's not laborious. I'm talking about our labor. We are finally entering into God's complete rest. So there is a rest that you can have now physically once a week that you should be taking. When you accept Christ, there is a spiritual and emotional rest that you can receive by what? Taking Him at His Word. Yeah, all right. Your labor doesn't stop. You, take a, you still need to take that week day of wet resting because why? Our labor doesn't stop when we receive Christ. If anything, we may reprioritize things, but anything, our labor ratches up a little bit because now there's works that we're to be doing that Jesus laid out in advance for us in Ephesians chapter 2, and it's to be a fruit, good fruit that remains. And so if anything, our, our labor ratches it up even more, but they're good, it's good works, it's good labor, it's good deeds that we're now doing. We're not doing it in the flesh. We're doing it in the spirit. We're doing it in the flesh, but it's not fleshly deeds is what I'm trying to talk about. So, um, Okay. All right. Let's see if I can make sense of all this writing over here. Let's look at verse 11, and uh, let's see where we're at in time. I'd like to finish. We might can finish. Verse 11. Let us, therefore, make every effort or be diligent. We need to be diligent. To enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following the examples of disobedience. So he's talking about here that spiritual rest, receiving Christ here. For the word of God is alive, and it's active, sharper than any edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him 
who we must give an account to. Okay? The author warns people who are lazy or indifferent in their spiritual life, we need to task ourselves by making every area effort to enter this rest. He's saying, look, you've heard the word. You're, you're, you're now teetering between going back and doing the old works, the, the, the old, uh, falling back under the old covenant. You've heard, you've heard the word, uh, the new covenant. You know, stick to it. Don't depart from it. Enter in, there's a rest there. There's not a rest over here. There's nothing but works over here. I know it sounds like I'm being contradictory, but when you're under the Old Testament covenant, the Old Covenant, there's a lot of works that have to be done, right? It's laboring, it's intensive. He says, no, enter into this spiritual rest that you can have through the blood of Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. Enter into that. Make every effort to enter it. This, was, was, this way no one will perish as those who disobeyed. We should remember the example of the Israelites so that we do not repeat the same mistakes they made. There's this, there is the possibility that believers today can also disobey and miss God's rest. I'm not saying miss heaven, but miss His rest now. And isn't that true? The turmoil. I'm gonna, you know, I, I was I was preparing my message for Sunday today, and I, I really did. I just started reflecting on my short life that I've had, and I'm just amazed that how dark things are in the world today compared to when I was younger. Brother Joey and I had that conversation this afternoon about how, you know, my early recollection of the world situation uh, was the, the Iran hostage crisis uh, under Jimmy Carter's administration. That's when I started really paying attention to world events, and it was terrible. But, man, it wasn't just a few years later. Reagan comes into office. What happened? The, the hostages are let go. The economy starts cranking up. Uh, he starts putting our enemies, the Soviet Union, there, you know, Y'all remember the Soviet Union? I mean, it doesn't exist anymore. You know, the countries have all split up. And, and, and it was through that, and even through, even though after Reagan we had Bush one, and then we had Clinton, even though Clinton, even during Clinton, the world was not a, and, and don't, don't shoot me down for this, I'm just giving you my reflection. The, everything was going pretty good. What Clinton did, though, was he brought immorality into the White House, which was what I remember from that. But the economy was cranking under under Clinton. I don't know if you remember that. I mean, that's when I was very early in my life. I had a job of going to school. It, it, it was cranking. It just immoral. But then there that the moral issues there. But then and then after that, we had Bush too. And then we went right into the, the, the war that we just recently gotten out of. But my point being is then you look today and nothing compares to today. Nothing in my past. Now, if you're older than I am, you remember, you remember World War II. That was a terrible time. I'm too young to remember the Vietnam era and all the unrest in our nation that's happening in her 60s. I wasn't old enough for that. So, but it's dark today is what my point is. Um, and there's a lot of Christians today who are, not, who are not realizing rest in their minds and their spirits because they're just not taking. And that's what the writer's saying. Take Jesus at His word. Take him at his word. John? Yeah, I say, to me, all rest is rejuvenation. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, even nature that's rests. How I feel about it. Yeah, even nature rests. I yeah. know that for me, sometimes when I've been filled with the Holy Spirit in a sanctuary, that, like we're talking about time, mm -hmm. I lose all track of time. I could care less yeah. what's going on. I get lost in the Spirit. I really think that's fun. Absolutely. You know. See if I can make sense of my scribbling here. God laid something in my heart. I'm going to try to read this. My handwriting is really bad here. The rest God is referring to is a rest that follows the satisfactory completion of a task. You ever done something and finish it and say, and you look back and you looked at it and you rested and you, there's a satisfaction to it. See? Yes, working on the books. You guys trying to find that dollar or whatever y'all were looking for. It was labor intensive, but, when you, but after it's done, you look back and there's a satisfaction of it being done, right? Um, the Word of God refers to here in, in verse 12 refers to his revelation in the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God because God spoke through the people who wrote it. 
we not only need to listen to it, we need to obey it. That is a reoccurring theme for these first couple of chapters. This verse states three things about God's Word. Now, you guys know this, but let's, let's just don't take it for granted. First, the Word of God is not dead. It's not static. It's not passive. It is alive and it's active. It's dynamic and it's productive. It is powerful. None of us read it probably like we should. I can't speak for everybody else, but I read a lot, and I still don't feel like I read it enough. Think about the Word of God. I mean, do you really believe that these words are inspired by God? And if so, how do you treat what God says? Because it's powerful. There's power in God's written Word. Second, God's Word is sharper than any double-edged sword. In other words, it cuts in every direction. There is no blunt side to it. It penetrates or pierces to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. Okay? It gets to the heart of any matter. It cuts. Sorry, there is a lizard by my leg that just startled me. It cuts the heart of sinners with conviction. There is no part of man which God's Word cannot penetrate, even the secrets of the mind. As I was studying, going back over this this afternoon, I thought, Oh God, You know my secrets. You know my every thought. That's, that's overwhelming to me. That's very humbling to me. You know, even though he knows our thoughts, we still have them. Yeah, we do. He, he, that is one thing that's hard to bring under submission. Yeah, it is. It is. We, we have to subject our thought life to... We've got to put it under the blood. We so really that's do. That's where temptation starts. It's where a lot it's of things... St- it, absolutely. Sin begins with a thought. Every thought, begin. you have a thought, it becomes tempting. Nothing wrong with temptation until you act upon it. And when you act upon it, it becomes sin. James, I believe it's James. That's right. Focus on those things. Yeah, absolutely. Brother Joey? I don't think we realize that the Word is God. Yeah. He speaks it and it's true, but the Word is God. And we also, our Word is us. Mm-hmm. She's absolutely right. It says, from the heart this mouth speaks. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. What we say is us. It's us. Absolutely. Yeah. I had a, a, well, we'll go to this third thing, and then I want to go back to something in just a minute because God gave me something and I forgot to say it. Third thing that I point that points out in this verse is God's Word judges the thoughts, as we just talked about, and attitudes of the heart. It penetrates the darkest corners of our existence. It discerns if our belief is genuine or not. It does. Up here we talk about salvation and rest. I, I, this is really good. This is very profound, at least I think it is. Salvation rest is the gift given to the believer resulting from Christ's finished work on Calvary. We'll say it again. Salvation rest, the rest that we have now, that we can enjoy now in the living, is the gift uh, given to us believers as a result of what Christ did. Right? But heavenly and millennial rest, and this is the point I, that I wanted to point out earlier, I told you it was on my notes here and I forgot to do it, is the, renew, is the reward rather of the believer's labor for the Lord. I want you to say that again. Heaven and millennial rest is the reward of the believer's labor for the Lord. We enter heaven because of what Christ did, but the rest that we enjoy is based on what we did for the Lord. We go to heaven or in the millennial reign. Any thoughts on that? Am I wrong on that? Let's say we were given work according to our works here absolutely yeah it goes back to what our deeds that we do here in this life absolutely absolutely is a great host of witnesses encouraging us on mm-hmm Well, need to be pruned. 
now well, that's a di but that's a different heaven than the heaven you go to after you die. You're talking about the new earth, not heaven. You're talking about the new earth. But he says, I saw the new heaven and the new earth. The new heaven descend, and there's a new earth. And God sets up on that new earth His throne. And on that new earth is where you're going to find the river of life, and you're going to find it lined with the trees, or the river, and you're going to find it lined with the trees of life. And we will come and go through the gates of that new Jerusalem. That's where we will rule and reign. We'll do, that in, we'll do that for the millennial reign as well on this earth. But this earth was going to be destroyed. There's going to be a new heaven, new earth. So when you die in this life, now, okay, I'm going to say something and may, it may, may flare up here, okay? But as I read the Word of God and study it, you don't get your glorified body until the rapture. So what are you going to do in heaven? You don't have a body in heaven. You're a spirit. Now, we don't know what that's like. Maybe there's some form to you. There's got to be some form to you, but it's not the body you're going to have when you're living in the new heaven, new earth, or the millennial reign. That don't take place to the rapture. Now, we know that after Jesus rose from the grave, there were some graves who burst open. There was a rapture. And maybe, and maybe some of those are the people, the witnesses in heaven that's rooting us on. But even that's not really laborious, is it, though? They're rooting us on. But those were the saints of old. Saints of old. But we don't know if it was all of them or not. We, we feel like it might be. We feel like it might be those who were found righteous in God through faith in, under the old covenant. And then when Jesus descended into heaven or into hell and, and took over the authority of it, then they, they, they were re released. Because there's nobody... But that doesn't mean that their bodies were. But we do know at that point when He rose from the grave, there were graves that burst open in Jerusalem. Whether it was all of them or not, we, I mean, we could say it is, but we don't know that for a fact. I'm not trying to split hairs. I'm just trying to be careful of what I'm teaching. But we know some of them. We know that, we know that whoever, comes, whoever comes back, the two witnesses, Right? Now, we know there's only two people that didn't die. They just were taken. I'm hoping they already have their glorified bodies because if not, then they're going to be kind of really bad, right? So, but outside of that, no one, and those who, whoever was, whosever bodies were raptured in Jerusalem on the day Christ rose again. It's like the song says, He came to set the captives free. Free, yes. Shul, the, site, the, the, the paradise site of Shul, no, it may exist, but there's nobody occupying it. Because when Christ defeated death, hell, and the grave. grave. He defeated all three. Yeah, yep. he did. Yeah. But do you see my point about your body? If, if 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 those who if if we're going to meet those it says that that you know that you know Paul talking about it, don't want you to be ignorant, right? Brother, those who precede you in death, one day the trumpet's going to sound and their bodies are going to rise. They're going to come meet us. They're going to come in the cloud, but their bodies going to rise. What's that all about? That's that's their glorified body. We don't think about that sound. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely, definitely. But I'm. This is study. This is trying to learn. This is trying to take God's word and try to dice it. It doesn't make a difference if I don't get my body until the rapture takes place. You're right. The point of the matter is that's why my point is is, and I think this is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. When we die, there is there's total rest. We we stop to labor altogether. Yeah. That's right. We get our new bodies and we go to the new earth. We have a glorified body, just like God doesn't need to. Right. I have a glorified body that doesn't suffer pain. And That's, that, absolutely. So, so why would you need to rest? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Jesus, whenever he talked to them, mm -hmm. he says, don't touch me. That's right. He had a body. It was his, he had not ascended. He had not ascended. But later on, he tells, he, he said, body. hey, put your hands in here, right, to Thomas. What happened? We don't know what happened, but what changed? We don't know what changed, but what do we believe? Most theologians believe that somewhere between in that week before he met with his disciples and said, here, go ahead and put it, he got his glorified body because what do we see? The door was shut and he walked through it, but yet they could touch him. Because there was no time, he just... So, he said, don't touch me, don't touch me. I have, I, I'm right, I'm not, my, I'm not being, my body's not been glorified. But later on, go ahead and touch me. But the now he had to have his glorified body because it wasn't until the second chapter of Acts that the church 
came to be. Up until then, they were living under the law, and they could not touch a dead body. That's right. So he yeah. had to have a glorified yeah. body for Jesus to say, touch me. Yeah, yeah. Look, this doesn't make the difference of heaven. It doesn't. But I love to talk about it and try to figure it out in my own mind. It's interesting. So don't build a, don't build a doctrine on, on that. But I firmly believe that when we... I know it's going to blow your mind because I've done this before. And, and I may be wrong. Let me say that right now. I'm putting this on record. I may be wrong. I probably shouldn't be recording this. For y'all that's listening out there in podcast land, please don't uh, label me a heretic here. But we talk about walking the streets of gold. Where's the streets of gold? The New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem. All we know that exists in heaven is the throne room of God that exists now. That's all the evidence we have that exists now. Now, heaven may be a lot vaster than that, but the only thing we know that exists now, why would there be streets of gold in heaven now if, we don't, if there's nobody up there with glorified bodies? Where are we coming and going? Why would you? You're just there. But when he creates the new heaven and earth, I mean, go back and do some study on it. Like I said, I could be wrong. Don't, don't throw me out of the church. This is our small group. We're just having a heart heart study. I know Brother Bill, his wheels are really turning back there. I think, uh, I think we will have a form. We'll have a form. Just like they recognize Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. They knew it was him. Right. Yeah. Moses. Yes, he had. So he's not up there getting all googly gob. Nope. And he doesn't have, he doesn't have his glorified body yet. That's right. He does not. See? So he had a form. He had form. He had I agree. They pray in heaven. The saints pray. Uh, the angels pray. Uh, what else they do, we don't know. But I think from here, from this body right here, mm-hmm. when the spirit goes to the Father. Yep. You see, this body is going to wait for him to call it out the ground. That's exactly right. I always used to, always used to wonder, Lord, how, how is this? Because a lot of people say it's like a, a cocoon, you know, and we would go through this metamorphosis and this is no longer needed. Mm-hmm. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus used the same very body. He sure did. That he walked, walked on earth with. Absolutely. If you take gold and crush it into dust, it's like 99.9% pure. So if you take that gold and you throw it up in the wind, it blows all over. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not going to find it again, but that gold is still there. Absolutely. So whatever you do to this body, a cannibal might eat me, a gator might eat me, I might rot in my grave you're, in the ground. You're too tough for a gator. But I'm still Billy. You're right. And when God says, Billy, come forth. That's it. I'm coming forth. But I still think that spirit, my spirit that's already with the Father, mm-hmm. has form, function, can be identified. Now, I mean, we could go either way. No. You know? And I'm not arguing with you. I'm not arguing. I know we're going to have form. I know there, but it's not going to be this. I don't believe it's going to be this physical body or my glorified body because I, as I read it, the glorified body does not rise until the trumpet sounds. Like I said, some did when Jesus rose. We know that. Whether it was all the saints of old or not, we don't know. But we know that some did for sure. And, and then we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. That's right. Right now today, we still have a heaven. Yep. And we still have an earth. That's right. They're two separate domains. That's exactly right. But then... So we don't know everything that's going on in heaven. I'm not sure we will then or we will, but it's still going to be two unique places. Yeah. We're still going to need the trees of life for the healing of the nation. Yep, that's what it says. Even in New Jerusalem. Yeah. So he says, Billy, when I got the store for you, don't worry about it. You can't conceive it anyway. Yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? But I mean, it could be so different. It's exciting, though, isn't it, when you start thinking about it? Yeah. Excites me. It does. But, Joey? For your what? Your wing. You're not going to be angels. Goodness gracious. Yep. 
we get be able to see in the spirit, we can recognize. Absolutely. Spirit, we won't have to have a body to be able to recognize. Yeah. Uh, but we we can't see it now, but when, when we go into the spirit world, then we can mm-hmm. see it. And just like there was nobody alive that knew what Moses looked like. Well, that's what I was saying. Even you mentioned Mission Moses. How did they know it was Moses? How did they recognize it was they Moses? They had never seen Moses. Well, they didn't have snapshots back then. There was two others that they recognized too. Absolutely. 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 And that, and that always has been a puzzle to me. Is how did they know who these people were? Well, then sometimes the, from the out of body experiences that we've heard and read about. I know, I know, like some people have died and gone to heaven and come back. I don't, I, I'm not, listen, is that possible? Absolutely. It is very, if God would, would like to bring, I mean, did not John the, John the Revelator, did he not go to heaven? He walked through a door. A lot of, a lot of people, I'm one of those, believe that, that he experienced the rapture in the future, that God actually took him and put him into the future for him to see everything. Um, so is that impossible? No, it's not impossible. Does that mean everybody says they did that, telling the truth? I don't know. I don't know. But I tell you this, I tell you this, my faith is not in what they say. My faith is in what this says. If I ran to John, John the Revelator and his word wasn't in here, I don't know if I'd believe him or not, but because it is in here, I know I can trust it. See? It goes back to faith and believing. So. Are you ready to go home, Brother Ben? I think that's it. You ready to go that home? I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. All right. You're talking about I don't know how much work we'll do. I don't know what we'll do. Who's to say once our scales of our eyes are removed and once we see the work of God, who's to say we're the only creation? You're right. We don't know, do we? What, what if God has other earths out there that we just don't know about in other dimensions? I mean, I'm sorry, that's the sci-fi mind on my side, you know. But we, we, you're right. There's so much we, we claim to know so much about God. The reality of it is we know very, very... We know just what He wants us to know, enough for us to have faith to know that He exists. But you're right, Brother Jim. And you know what? We may get to heaven and you may hunt me down and tell me I'm wrong about everything I just said too. But, you know, I don't think it... But, you know, just, I just think these deep thoughts at times. Because when I teach or I preach, I want to be accurate. Mm-hmm. See? And it always, that always kind of checked my spirit, some of the things that people were saying. You should always challenge your mind. I think so. Because it keeps it open. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Brother Joe? It's interesting to me that there's some relations all throughout time that have never heard of God Jehovah, but they all believed in a supreme God. Absolutely, yeah. Supreme power. They, they, the human, that's instilled in every human. God put that in, absolutely, that's part of us that's in His image. He put in there to, to know and to long for a higher being, a creator. And then when you, in Romans 1 tells us, when you, all the creation, I mean, those who did not know God uh, like Abraham knew, but you look, they, they had to know of God because of creation. You can look at Romans 1, it's there, it's there. So there's, that's, you know, I have, what about the pygmies over here? What about these people? You know, I, I, I don't want to speak for God in this sense, but if they believe that there is God and they, and they may not know Him like I know Him, uh, I'm going to hope God will be merciful towards. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Americans are very, very religious. Yeah. And understand. Yeah. So, yeah, but I don't. I don't know that for sure. I I don't want to speak for God in that sense because this thing in here. But I do know Romans says that there's no excuse for anybody. Basically, I'm paraphrasing there. Whenever you plant a seed and that tree grows, you don't have to teach that tree how to bear fruit. That's right. It already knows how. It's already in there. Yeah. And we're a creation of God. It's already in there. Yeah, that's good. Oh, that's good. Right, Joey? I, I, I personally think that Jesus went to hell one time for all the people prior to him gave yeah. them the opportunity to reject him. Absolutely. And I, I personally think that anybody that, that has not had the opportunity to reject him will get that opportunity. 
Well, we know he does that at the end of the millennial reign too, doesn't he? For those who are born during the millennial reign, he releases Satan one more time for what? For the purpose of, I hate to say temptation, but so they can make a choice between you're going to serve me. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Yeah. Well, let's see if we can't finish these last couple of verses and finish 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What a powerful paragraph of theology. Thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.